we were born is dead on the side of the road with, and broken down with no tools and no knowledge of what to do to fix it, no ability to fix the problem. Now, God has responded in several ways. God has sent us a letter, right? In the, in the Old Testament, God sent the law and showed you, this is what your problem is. You are not holy. You are not righteous. You don't stand up. You can't stand before me as righteous because you are, ho- you are unholy. If you've ever read the rules and regulations that's in the first five books of the Bible, you would think, I, I can't do this. There's no way I can obey all of these rules. And that's exactly the point. There's no way you can obey all those rules because God is holy and you are not. He sent us a letter and showed us exactly what the problem was. And he also told us how to fix it. The way to fix it is be righteous. And guess what? You can't do that. So that ends up, it's, it's not, that's not the end, but God doesn't stop there. And throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we see God sends prophet after prophet after prophet declaring face to face, this is what the problem is. This is what you have to do. Turn to the Lord. But ultimately, that doesn't fix the problem. But what God does is he doesn't just stay there. He doesn't just stop at that point. He actually comes to us. And this is what this passage is about today, that God sends himself to us so that he can fix the problem on our behalf. We, uh, <clears throat> we can't fix the problem, and God, God can fix the problem. So he is the only one who has the ability to fix the problem, and therefore he is the only one who can come to fix the problem. Let's, let's read our passage today. If you can, stand with me. If you can't, then it's fine to stay seated. But if you can, stand with me as we read this passage. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let me pray for us real quick. Lord, thank you for this passage. Thank you for this great truth, Lord, that you have come to this earth to fix our problem, to fix our sin problem. God, I pray as we 
uh, look at this passage, that we will glorify you, that we will be, that we will rejoice in your name. And Lord, if there is someone here who does not know you, that Lord, your word will pierce to their very heart and that they may respond to you. In your name, amen. amen. So the beginning of John's gospel sets the tone and the agenda for the rest of the gospel. The themes that John brings up in these 18 verses are cycled through and are proven through the rest of the book of John. You'll, uh, um, that, uh, for example, in verse 18, it says that uh, no one's ever seen God in this this guy, this Jesus Christ, he is the one who reveals the Father. And that's the rest of the book of John. Jesus reveals who the Father is. Throughout the, so throughout the rest of the book of John, this passage kind of sets the tone and sets the agenda for the rest of the gospel. This passage uh, has been, uh, uh, again, as I mentioned, it's one of my favorite passages um, this is a declaration of what theologically is called the incarnation. It's, it's that Jesus came in the flesh. For, so if you think about this, in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they begin with either a genealogy or the birth narrative, right? That Jesus was born, okay? John says, okay, that's great. But where I'm going to start, I'm going to start way before that. Look at this. In, in, in the very beginning of this, he, uh, he says, in the beginning. In the beginning, because, okay, Jesus was born, yes, but in the beginning, right, what's he referencing? What do you think as you ponder this? What might he be referencing? Um, as we saw last week, John has a very biblical perspective. He's got a very Old Testament perspective. He's using the Old Testament to prove his points. So in this part here, I believe and I think that in, 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 uh, other, other scholars would agree that this is a reference to Genesis 1-1. So John is saying, okay, let's start at the very beginning, right? This is not necessarily a chronological beginning as in some kind of time. At the very least, we know that this is a beginning. This is, this is a before time beginning, right? This is not just a, this, now when one second happened and two seconds, this is before the time was even created. So John is saying, let's, let's take this way back before time was ever created. And in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, who's the Word? Where does John get this idea there's this word guy. If I go back to Genesis 1, I don't read anything about a word, right? Not in the beginning, right? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, okay? So where does this idea of a word come from? Now, again, as we've already said, uh, John has a very biblical theology. His, his theology is grounded in Scripture. So when he is explaining this character as the word, he's probably got in mind something like Psalm 33, 6. It says, by the word of the Lord were all things created. But John doesn't mean this as merely speech acts, right? And he doesn't understand Psalm 33 to mean just merely speech acts. But this is a declaration of a person through whom God creates the heaven and the earth, right? So here, he's, he's, he gives us, in most of your Bibles, you should have, it should be capitalized. The word, the word, word is capitalized. This is a person we are talking about. In fact, it's a very divine person, a person through whom God creates the heaven and the earth. So John understands that in Genesis 1, at the creation of the world, that God the Father is creating through this word. 
who, as he reveals at the end of this passage, is Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about that? Usually we think of Jesus, we start with a manger. As John is doing here, he doesn't start with a manger. He starts with the very act of creation. This little baby that's in a manger that at Christmas time we'll be remembering and thinking about. That baby that was in a manger was the very creator of the world. The very creator in a frail child. I have an almost five-month-old when he was born. Again, as many of you know, you had to hold their head up, otherwise they would snap their neck and, and die. Right? Or, or there's all sorts of ways that a baby can die. It's very scary for a brand new parent. It's like, anything I do could kill this child. But here we go. Jesus, the God of the universe, the Son of God, the second member of the triune Godhead, took on humanity. The very creator of the world became a part of creation. In some sense. What an amazing thought. We'll get more to that when we get to verse 14. But in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Now John is trying to explain who this Word is. He was with God, so he was not the same thing. In, in the New Testament, the term God, the term theos, is usually uh, referencing specifically the Father. Okay, And usually the term Lord or kurios is a reference to God the Son. And then the Holy Spirit is usually referenced as the Spirit. So there's these different technical terms that are used. So the word God doesn't necessarily, it, it generally means the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all together. But a lot of times in the New Testament, here in the book of John, John is using these terms to distinguish between the Father and the Son. Not that one is less God than the other, right? It's not like God the Father is God and Jesus is not. No, they're equally God. In fact, this, this is exactly the point that John is getting at. He says, the word was with God. Now again, if there is a being that exists before the creation of anything, who must that being be? God. It has to be. Right? That being must be God. He must be God to be there before anything is ever created. Otherwise, what it's impossible. There's, there can't be anything before there was a creation. Now, in the beginning, before anything was ever created, was the Word, and He was with God. And this is the Word was God. Not only was he distinct from the Father, but he was also equal with the Father. He was also as much God as the Father was, as the Father is, right? So this is, like I told you, we could spend weeks on just this passage. There's so much theology just pouring out of every word here. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, verse 2. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and this life was the light of men. Jesus is the very light and life of us. And you think this, 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 reflect, this again, this is reminiscent again of the, of the language of the creation narrative where, where God creates light and God creates human life. Now we know that life is dependent on light, is it not? What scripture here is telling us, what John is telling us is Jesus isn't just light and life. He is the light and the life. He is the light which gives life 
And he is the only reason. He is the one through whom we even have life. Do you ever stop to think about that? That we would not exist. We would not draw another breath if it was not for the sustaining work of the creator, our Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing. You would not be blinking your eyes right now if it wasn't for Jesus. Isn't that fantastic? What a powerful Savior we have. What a powerful guy this word is. This guy who is the word. He is, uh, in him was life, and this light was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. Now, John, again, is referencing back to the creation account here, but he kind of builds on top of that, especially if you finish the Gospel of John and were to come back to this place. Now, in Genesis 1, it talks about how God spoke and, and God set, uh, created light, right, and separated light from darkness. Now, again, we know scientifically darkness is just the absence of light. Now, in Genesis 1, that's certainly the case. That that's all it's talking about. There's nothing else going on here. There's not any kind of dualistic theology going on here where they're saying there's this pre, you know, that's equal with God, this darkness thing or whatever, and, you know, as if there's these two existing powers of light and darkness. It's not getting that. Genesis isn't talking about that. John, on the other hand, is he is building on that theology. He's taking that idea from Genesis 1, and he is building on that theology to say that to, to bring up the more of a spiritual dimension of light and darkness. He's already brought, made it spiritual, talking about the word being the light and life of man. And he says this light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. Now again, this is uh, the light uh, is, shines through evil, right? Through evil, through wickedness. Um, think about this. Uh, you know, there, there, there is this, again, we can think there's also this spiritual dimension. Um, as we think about this word, who we know from the end of the passage is Jesus, um, nothing can stop the gospel, right? There's nothing you have done, there is nothing you could do, there is no situation in your life that is too horrible, there is no, nothing that could happen that could prevent. Jesus, because we could prevent the light of Christ from entering into your life. Nothing. Right? The spiritual darkness, it doesn't have any power against Jesus. I've, I've heard people say that before, like, well, you just don't know. I mean, I, I've, I've been too bad. I mean, Jesus wouldn't, I, I don't want to believe in Jesus now. I want to get my life straightened up before I start this whole Jesus thing. According to this passage, or even just right here, the darkness doesn't overcome it. There's nothing you have done. There is not one small or big or whatever thing that could prevent the gospel from working in your life. Nothing. Not one thing at all. These couple of verses, um, we, uh, <clears throat> we see this idea um, that we must praise the pre-existing word. Have we ever uh, pondered that Jesus has always existed? Have we ever thought about that? From eternity to past, the Son of God has always existed alongside the Father and Holy Spirit. If Jesus was merely a created being, he would not be God, and he could not save us. In fact, this is this, is this very thing, uh, this idea, this uh, debate was going on in the 4th century. There was a 
guy named Arius in the fourth century who's, who had, uh, he had his church singing this song that says, there was a time when the sun was not, right? There, he was declaring and preaching that Jesus was a created being, that he was not equal with God, that he was not God. And uh, there's a, a guy, one of his contemporaries, another pastor named Athanasius, who uh, he argued against him. He said, look, if he is not God, he can't save anybody. Because only God can save, right? So Arius was eventually shut down and, and uh, declared to be a heretic, and we would not believe what he, what he taught anymore um, because he was wrong. So Athanasius uh, had this great point that if, if Jesus is not God, then he cannot save anybody. So this beginning passage right here, what John is opening up and unfolding for us in this opening verses of John 1 is that Jesus is the Son of God. He is God, and that is why he is qualified to save us. That is why he is qualified to come to us when we are stranded on the side of the road. Come beside us and say, I can fix this, because he is God. It is through Christ that we were created. It is through Jesus that our life is sustained. Apart from the work of Jesus Christ, we would not be breathing today. Have you praised Jesus for this, for this very aspect of his person? Have you praised him for that? Have you worshipped him because he said, Jesus, this is who you are. And I stand in awe of who you are. Don't minimize who Jesus is and limit him to some guy who walked in Galilee 2,000 years ago. Praise him as the almighty creator and sustainer of all of creation. This is who our Savior is. So in this beginning of this, the opening verses here, we see that we must uh, praise the word who is preexistent. Secondly today, we see uh, we must trust the word who is light and life. Trust the word who is light and life. You could continue on in verse 6. says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist. Right? This is John, the guy who baptized Jesus, the guy who was baptizing people, the forerunner of Jesus. In fact, Scripture had even prophesied of the coming of John the Baptist. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, it said this. It says, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So the last of God's prophets, we saw, we talked about how God sent messengers. He sent people to tell about the gospel, to preach the gospel, right? But they could not ultimately fix the situation on their own. <clears throat> uh, the last of those prophets is this guy, John the Baptist. He testified about the same thing that every other prophet proclaimed, the coming of the Christ. But he was just a preacher. He was not the light. Right? And that's exactly what this passage says. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, or a, or a testifier, if you will. He came, to, he came as a witness to bear witness, to testify about the light, that all might believe through him. And so in other words, John is, as, as, as Didi mentioned today, John was a mirror. He was reflecting the light of Christ. He was saying, look at him. Look at him. Look for him. That's what John did. That's what, he, that's what his goal was. That's what his job was as a prophet. He was not that light, verse 8, but he came to bear witness about that light. Don't make the mistake, in other words, of seeing some preacher as being a replacement of Jesus. Don't see John the Baptist or any other great preacher as some replacement of who Jesus is. Because they're not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. You can't trust me for your salvation. I can't do it. 
right? Even with the Haynes manual, I can't do it, right? I can't. I don't have that ability. But I can point you to the one who, who does have that ability, to God. Now we have a tragic story here beginning in verse 9. There's a bit of a tragedy here. The tragedy is of the true light is that not everyone believed in him. Look at this. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. What a tragedy. Imagine, if you will, if you were the creator of the universe. Right? You're not. I'm not. You're not. Sorry. Right? But imagine that you were the creator of the universe and you stepped down into your creation and arrived and no one knew who you were. You'd be like, excuse you? I created every one of you. What are you talking? You don't know me. What's your problem? Right? We might, in our selfishness, we'd probably be like, hey, y'all straighten up. Right? But Jesus doesn't do that, right? He just, he continues to do what he was called to do. But look at this. Jesus, uh, he, was, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, to his very people. Right? And this is probably referencing the people of Israel. He came to his own, to his own people, and they did not receive him. The people of Israel who had the scriptures, they had Moses. They had all of this knowledge of who he was. In fact, throughout the Gospel of John, as we'll see, John or uh, Jesus continually will tell the people, you have Moses? How do you not believe in me? You've read about me in, the pro- in Moses and in the prophets. You should know about me. The people of Israel, they had all the knowledge. They had all of the scripture. They've had all the benefits. They had all of the best of everything that God had given them. And yet they still did not know him. You can have the best of everything. You can grow up in church. You can even have some of the outward things right. You can, you can wear the right clothes, come to church. There's no such thing as the right clothes. It's not in the Bible, sorry. They probably wore robes. And we don't wear robes today, so there you go. Um, but you could, you could dress nice. You could, you could bring your tithes and offering. You can be giving the money. You can be uh, saying the right things. Never, ever, you know, never cuss, never murder anyone, never... Anything, you could, all these outside things you could have right. You could even look at and read the laws of the book of, Mo, of the books of Moses and say, okay, I've done every single one of those and treat that like a checklist. You can do every one of those and still not have Jesus. Do every one of them. You can even say, you know what, I'm a pretty good person. As the Apostle Paul will tell us and the rest of the other places in Scripture will tell us, even your righteousness is as filthy rags. It's a very dirty and grungy phrase that he uses. Another place he says, it is as dung. And there's enough people who farm and ranch that they know what that is. So anytime you say, oh, I'm a pretty good person, you know what God thinks about that goodness? It's dung. It's filthy rags. 
We don't have anything of value to offer for our own salvation. We've got nothing. You can have all of the outside things. You can have all of those things together. You can come from the right parents. You can come from, you know, go, come from the right church. You can be a Baptist <laughs> and not know Jesus. I don't know how, but just kidding. No, it's very possible. Even his own people did not accept him. And even we can fall into that same category. It's only by trusting in Jesus Christ that you will be saved. Look at the rest of this passage. This is where the good news comes in. It says, but all who did receive him, all those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, by the will of God. That's where salvation is. It's through believing in the name of Jesus Christ. Not through having all this external stuff right, not from sitting in the right pews. Even the people sitting in the front row, right? I love it, but sorry. That doesn't save you. It is only by believing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you can have salvation. Let me put it another way. It's only by trusting in, depending on Christ alone and his sacrifice for your sins that there can be any salvation. I would urge you today, if you have not given your life to Christ, do that today. Don't leave this place without that, without uh, obtaining that promise. That those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. <clears throat> Third thing we see today in this passage is that we must worship the word who is the giver of grace. We must worship the word who is the giver of grace. And now right here, here's where the climax of the passage arrives. We've known, we've learned about this guy who is the word, this guy who created everything, who was the most ultimately powerful creator of all things, the sustainer of life, the giver of light. It's not John the Baptist, as great of a guy as John the Baptist was. He was not the light. But let's see what, look at this, look at this. It says in verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. He took on humanity to save us from our sins. Here's the theological point that we get from this. God did not become a dog to save dogs. He became a man to save humans. See, in the, create, in, in, the, uh, in the beginning of Genesis, mankind fell into sin. Mankind was created in the image of God. What that means is that he was created with a relationship with God. Because of sin, that relationship was broken. Specifically, if you look at the text and if you, if you were to study the text, man was created with a relationship with the Son of God. God the Son, second person of the Godhead, the very word that we're talking about right now. Man was created with a relationship with the Son of God. Because of our sin, because we decided that what was best for us was the very thing that we were told not to do. Because of that, that relationship with the Son of God was broken. So it's no accident that the Son of God takes on humanity. 
It's no accident. It wasn't like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit drew straws and the Son got the short straw. I'm like, oh, you're the one that's got to go. No, the relationship was broken with him in the first place. Right? The relationship between humanity and the Son of God is the relationship that was broken. So he was the one who had to go. Now again, he could have chosen any number of ways to do this. There could have been plenty of right. He could have written a letter. And he did. He could have called you on the phone or even came and talked to you, which he did. But instead of just stopping there, he takes on full humanity. Remaining fully God, he takes on full humanity so that he can die for our sins, live a perfect sinless life and die on our behalf, which then conquers sin and Satan and death, not because he died, but because he did not stay dead. He also rose from the dead, which conquered sin and Satan and death and brought salvation to all of us. This is the beginning of that whole process where the word becomes flesh and dwells among us. Now, what is, what is, what's so great about this idea that the word becomes flesh? Why, why is that such a great thing? What's so great about a baby? Look at Hebrews chapter 2. Kind of a great parallel to this uh, is in Hebrews chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 14. It says this, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, since we, that's us, we're the children, since we're the one, since we share in flesh and blood, he himself, that's Christ, likewise partook of the same, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham, us people. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Not only does he provide salvation because he became flesh, but he also understands. Another passage in Hebrews says he is, a, he is not a high priest that does not understand, but he is a great high priest who understands everything that we're going through. Every situation that you've faced in life, every temptation you've had, Jesus has been there. He understands because he took on sin. He took on uh, humanity for us. Everything that it means to be human, he possessed. So if he bashed his finger with a hammer, he probably knows exactly what that feels like. Maybe worrying about finances or having, or having nothing. He knew what that was like. He probably didn't worry about it in a sinful way. He was God and he wouldn't have sinned. But, <laughs> making sure I'm not a heretic here, sorry. Um, but he understands. He knows what we're going through. He, he understands uh, what, what we are going through. Because Jesus took on flesh, he completely understood everything we are going through. He knows what it is to hurt, to lose loved ones. He knows what it means to be tempted. Praise the Lord that he has taken on our humanity and conquered sin for us. We, in our weakness, could never have done this. But he did. Now look at this. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father full of grace and truth. 
John bore witness about him. Look in verse 15, continuing on. Said, and he, he, he bore witness about him and cried out, This was he whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. John is saying, you know, if, we, if you remember from the Gospel of Luke, G, uh, the, uh, John the Baptist was probably six months older than Jesus. Okay? So most people would want to think, well, John is older, so John's better. Right? And John says, no, 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 no. He might have come after me as far as chronologically goes in time in, as a human being, but he's before me. He's existed way before I ever existed. That's what the beginning of John 1 was talking about. He was in the beginning with God. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Now, there's a small, a small little issue, those of you guys who uh, would, want, would, rather, would want to think a little bit deeper about some of these things. There's a, uh, uh, not only an issue, but there's a difference of opinion on how to understand this passage, how to understand this, this phrase, grace upon grace. The, the word that's there is usually translated as instead of, so it would be grace instead of grace. Um, so this difference of opinion is whether or not this is talking about uh, um, grace upon grace as a addition, like you know, adding grace and grace and more and more and more grace, or if this is talking about like replacing one grace with another grace. In other words, replacing the old covenant with the new covenant, versus maybe through Jesus, there's just so much more grace being given. Either way, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. There is a debate there. There is a discussion there. Um, I couldn't really come to a conclusion, so I, did, I wanted to make sure I gave you both the options so I could make sure that you were, you were uh, hearing this uh, with, with, with humility. Um, I'm not exactly sure what the best way to translate this passage is, what the best way to understand this particular passage is, um, but there they are. There's both of them. It's either this idea of, of, of one replacing the other or of building on top of one. I think either way, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't really make a huge difference, but I did want you to be aware of that. Um, for the, uh, verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. This is a, 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 just this wonderful picture of, of Jesus' office as son of God told you guys last week that as we go through this, we'll learn more about what it means, what the relationship of the Father to the Son is. This is one of those things. What Jesus, as the Son of God, part of his job, part of his uh, identity as the Son is that he is the revealer of the Father, which is something that he is going to do over and over and over and over and over and over again through the Gospel of John. He is going to continually reveal the Father. How awesome is that? The Jesus, it says, uh, no one has seen God. No one has ever seen God. The only God, the only Son of God, and specifically the only begotten, uh, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. It is only through Christ that we would even have any knowledge of the Father in the first place. This is the word, this is the Jesus that we worship. This is the Jesus that we serve. He's the only revealer of the Father. He's the creator of all things. He's the sustainer of all things. And he is a savior. A good savior. We started this message broken down the side of the road. That's where we're born. And without responding to the utter ruin of the situation, we will absolutely remain stranded and die in that condition. In order to have access to the salvation offered through the coming of the Son of God to save us, all we must do is call upon him. 
that's it. Think about this great thing that Christ does in coming to us and fixing our problem. And all we're called to do, metaphorically speaking, is make a phone call. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We do have a responsibility, and that is to call upon the name of the Lord. Will you call upon him today? If, if so, we're going we're to have an invitation here in a second. If, if you uh, have not received Christ as your Savior, you've not trusted uh, Jesus as your Savior, will you do that today? You can come and see me after the service. You can see me during the invitation. However you want to do that. And I would love to talk to you about how you can know today that you, you can have this true life, that you have this salvation offered through Christ. Some of you, many of you here are believers today. If you're a believer, <clears throat> have you given Jesus the honor he deserves? This great son of God that we worship and serve. Have you given him the honor that he deserves? Maybe you've not worshipped him in the way he deserves. Do you live as a child of God? These stairs or this altar we may call it is open for you. If you'd like to uh, spend some time and just worship. Uh, that's open to you if you'd like that. If you'd like to take that opportunity. Maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you're new to the area. You're looking for a church home. Uh, we're not perfect, but uh, by God's grace, uh, we want to bring glory to King Jesus. If you desire to join with us in our pursuit to love Jesus more, would you come during the invitation? We'd love to talk to you about how you can become a part of our church. Finally, church, how well do we make the gospel the center of our congregation? How well do we do that? Is Jesus the center? Do we worship him as we ought to worship him as a congregation? Are there ways that we, do not that we do not function as if Jesus is our creator and savior? What are some ways that we can better bring glory to the name of Jesus in our congregation and our community? How can we do that today? Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this wonderfully rich passage, Lord, that 